Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices keeping people at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, we have just an incredible human on the show, Amy, who is a licensed clinical social worker, psychotherapist, and psychology lecturer at Northeastern University. She also is an international best-selling author her of, of multiple books, which I can't wait to dive into. Her TED Talk, The Secret of Becoming Mentally Strong, is one of the most popular talks of all time with more than 22 million views. She's also a regular contributor to Forbes, NBC, and Psychology Today, where her articles on mental strength reach more than 2 million readers each month. I mean, we're definitely going to be able to geek out and nerd out on the topic of mental strength, mental fitness, resilience, all that fun stuff. So I can't wait to jump into conversation with you, Amy. Welcome to the show. Oh, Mark, thank you so much for having me. Let's let's jump in. I mean, just as I start all shows on this, on this podcast, if you strip away everything I just read about the bio and the titles and all that fun jazz, so we'll get into all of that in a minute. Just who are you? Like, who's the human in this lovely boat that you, that yeah. I'm looking at you in? Yes. Well, as you say, I'm somebody that lives on a sailboat. So that usually strikes people as, as strange <laughs> to begin with. But, uh, you know, I, I was like the, the shy kid that grew up in rural Maine and never dreamed I would live on a sailboat or that I'd be podcasting and giving speeches for a living. Like that would have been beyond my I don't, I'd probably say wildest nightmare because I hated public speaking and I get seasick. So the thought of doing these two things wouldn't have been anything I was ever even interested in. But, you know, life was pretty good until, uh, until my 20s. And that decade of my life is just like a bad country song. I lost my mom. I lost my husband when I was 26. I lost my father-in-law and I lost a former foster child all within 10 years. And I spent that 10 years of my life in just the darkest place and just waiting for the next shoe to drop. Like, okay, yeah. what's going to happen next? And and there was a fire in there. I mean, the whole thing, it just, it sounds like it starts to become uh, a made up story after a while. But during that time, I wrote the article, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, but it wasn't meant to be an article that even was going to go online. It was a letter to myself because I was in a really dark place but uh, I also needed money and I got paid $15 for posting it on the internet. And I thought no maybe way. it would help somebody else too, because by then uh, I was widowed and I was just trying to make my mortgage payments on my own. And I thought it could help somebody, but I also needed the $15. So put it on the internet. The article got read by 50 million people. And one of them was a literary agent who called and said, you should write a book. And that was 10 years ago. And that is now why I get to speak and talk about mental strength and why I don't do therapy one-on-one -on -one in rural Maine anymore, but I get to live on a sailboat and write books and, and do cool things. And public speaking isn't so scary anymore. And living on a boat is way more fun than I even imagined. So, <laughs> so, so that's, wild. that is how I got to be here in a, in a, the Reader's Digest version. <laughs> so what you mentioned that, you know, a lot of the things that you're doing right now are the kind of, uh, would have been like a nightmare uh, scene when you're when you're um, you know thinking about your work and and whatnot. What did you want to do? Uh, well, my original plan was to become a physician, 
But then my first day of college, everybody was really excited that we were about to dissect cats. And I was the only one that wasn't super excited. And it was like in that moment, I was like, you know, I actually don't want to be a doctor. I just like the idea of being a doctor. So I had called my sister and she was a just graduating with her bachelor's in psychology. So I said, hey, I got to I got to switch my major. I'm not dissecting a cat tomorrow. So what do you think? Psychology? And she's all, you know, at least go with social work because you can do more with a social work license than you can a bachelor's in psychology. It's too generic these days. So I switched my major that day. I didn't even really know what social work was, but fell in love with it and thought, oh, this is pretty cool. So decided to get my master's. And then about the same time, my sister decided to get her master's in social work. And then we had adjoining offices in Maine, kind of like Niles and Fraser Crane. And uh, and I thought this is amazing. I get to I get to live in in Maine, and I get to work. And my sister works next door, and this is like a lot of fun. And yeah. I assumed that's where I'd be for the rest of my life, doing one on one therapy in Maine. What changed it? Um, I guess it was that the series of terrible events in events. my twenties really made me say, you know, like. Yeah. I don't need life to stay exactly the same. My life got flipped upside down. So I thought, let's let's do something else. What led you to that question during, like, because those, I mean, just one of those events is is more than enough to really rock your world and your mind. And I mean, you know, as you said, you had multiple, them, multiple uh, of those events going kind of back to back and huge and just like big trauma, right? For, for anyone to handle... What made you ask that question that, you know, led to writing the the article, then obviously essentially a series of of different books on the on a similar theme, right? Yeah. So it was the day I can remember the day to a T. I had gone to a staff meeting. The only work I had to do that day was go to a staff meeting from seven to eight in the morning. And then I had the rest of the day off. And I had just learned that my father-in-law's cancer was terminal. So Doctors had said he might have a month or two, something like that, but it it was clear it was terminal and it was prostate cancer. So originally they were like, he's going to beat this, not an issue. And then very quickly it became, no, actually it's terminal. And I just remember that day thinking, well, now I know what's coming. I had lost my mom to a brain aneurysm. I had lost my husband to a heart attack and now, and it was very sudden. And so now I knew what was coming and I thought, but I can't stop it from happening so like, mm. how do I spend the next couple of weeks? Like, what do you do when you're anticipating something horrible happening? And it felt terrible. I mean, not that there's a good way to lose somebody, whether it's sudden or you know it's coming, but it was very different. And I thought, you know, like, what do I do for the next two weeks? Do you stay in, in a dark room or do you get up and try to function? And how do you paste a smile on? How do you act like life is still going on? Yeah. Like, I still have to go to the grocery store, but then like... People are laughing and smiling. I don't know. It was a really weird place in my life. So I said, well, what am I going to do? How do I get through these next couple of weeks? And then how do I get through life after this too? Because now I'm losing all of my favorite people. So it was all of that that led to this question where I said, well, you're a therapist. (laughs) You've learned a few things in life. So what is it that mentally strong people do? And how do you get through the pain rather than just go around it and avoid it? And how do you make sure that you're asking for help and doing all the things that sometimes we think is not a sign of strength, like saying, hey, this isn't okay, or I'm not okay. Yeah. Uh, so it was all of that that made me really say, all right, I just want to talk about what mentally strong people don't do. Were there some key people at that time in your life that served as as inspiration or that were kind of guiding lights to, like, I'd, I'd love to know how they would handle a situation like this or think or whatever it was? 
you know, my mom had always had like a super strong faith. And no matter what she went through, uh, she was always like, yeah, it's okay. I can get through this. And so I think I drew upon that to say, all right, like I had her around for 23 years of my life. So I guess to honor her, I can say, yeah, you taught me something, mom. So part of it Mm. was that I also had really good friends. Like we went to preschool together and we are still friends now. But just during those times to know that, um, that my friends were there, um, but I didn't know anybody like who had been widowed at 26. So I didn't have somebody to say like, you know, how do you go through this? I had plenty of people that were like, Oh, I lost my husband when I was 80. I know exactly what you're going through. And I was like, I'm not sure you do. (laughs) So, but I think it was just supportive uh, friends and family for the most part. Okay. And then you started doing, you started writing the article. Yeah. Which led to, I mean, everything you're doing right now, essentially, like what were some of the steps that, that took place after that once it, once it went? Yeah. So I published it on this little known website and it got picked up by Forbes within like a week and 10 million people read it on Forbes and then Business Insider picked it up. And all of these people like Juliette Lewis was shared it on Facebook and Don Cheadle tweeted it. And before I knew it... Why do you think that is the case? Like, what, (laughs) what do you think it was at that at that, because that's about 10 years ago, right? Right. I mean, it's like we're still talking about this topic. It's like we haven't figured this out yet. I mean, we're made progress, but it's still a very relevant topic. I think a few things helped it go viral. So one was this was before like TikTok. So we didn't have, you know, like video clips that were seen by millions of people. So that just didn't happen. In today's world, I don't think an article would really go that viral anymore because yeah. it's not going to show up on TikTok and Instagram. So that helped. It was also one of the first articles written about what not to do. You see them all the mm. time now, but it was a, it was one of the first ones. But also nobody was talking about mental strength. I mean, you can look at the yeah. Google trends and you can see that when the, after that article came out, now mental strength is talked about a lot more, but back then it wasn't. So I think people were really curious, like, what is mental strength and why have we never heard of it? Yeah. Well, even now, like I think about, you know, when like I've been practicing these, these, these mental fitness practices for probably about 12, 13 years, but it was, it was really only the last, I'd say seven where I like went all in on the, on the topic. And at that time, like no one, there was very few people speaking about mental fitness. And I would say like mental strength, like anything like positive on the mental side, right? It was always, and to, to an extent, it's still kind of like this. It's always mental health, which just immediately feels like you're just pulling yourself out of a hole, right? Which I, I mean, right. I, I'm grateful that we're we're being more vulnerable and we were it feels like you know we have permission essentially as we see other people talk about their mental health struggles and, and journeys and whatnot and how they navigated those waters. But there's still this massive longing that I at least feel from whether it's a corporate setting or people one to one of like what are the tools outside of just you know there's there's therapy, of course, but that there's so many other things we can do, right? Like what, what, what's available when we think of, you know, mental strength and on my side, the way that, that, that I speak about this is typically through the, the language of mental fitness, which I think both have a commonality of it feels more possible or positive or doable. Like it's just like physical fitness, right? It's, just, it's something that we can take a look at our lives and our work and our habits and the systems and so forth and like put a plan together, right? Which historically, and there's still a lot of this today, it, it, it seems like there's been a lot of dialogue around just mental health, 
which in a way is good because then, you know, people are talking about it. And to your point, you know, 10 years ago, that's probably one of the big reasons like no one was talking about the the subjects. So then you hear something different. Um, but I think we still have a long way to go because I don't know about you, but I feel or hear a longing for the tools. It's like, yes, we know it's important, but what do I do? Right. Uh, outside of, uh, you know, of course there's therapy, but there's a million other things that you can do. So I'm curious, Amy, like what, in present day, like what are what are you seeing and hearing when you're working with teams or working with people one to one or uh, through through any of your work? Like what 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 are the questions people are asking? Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I agree with all of that completely. That people think you're either mentally healthy or you're not, which is ridiculous. Yeah. Like we wouldn't be like, "Are you physically healthy?" and it's a yes or no question. Like somebody yeah. might be like, "Well, I have high cholesterol," or "I have a bad knee." And that's okay. We accept that. But when it comes to mental health, and it's like it's an insult if we think that you're not mentally healthy, like people will you know, imply you're crazy or that person has a mental illness as if that encompasses yeah. everything. But yeah. the truth is it's a continuum. And wherever we fall on this continuum of mental health changes from hour to hour, depending on what's going on around you and, and what's going on inside your own head. And if you ask people, like, what can you do to improve your mental health? I think people could come up with a couple of ideas. Like somebody might say, I think exercise is good for your mental health and maybe having friends or uh, some really basic things. But yet at the same time, we often don't do those things or we underestimate how big those things are. Like going mm -hmm. for a walk 20 minutes a day is huge for your mental health. Yet, And while most people know that, most people don't do that. Yeah. Or we know that, yes, it's important to have friends. But then when you ask adults, like, how often do you talk to your friends in person? How often do you see them? Like, not very. Or when they see people, you know, acquaintances, things like that, they're like, well, I didn't, you know, we didn't really have a good time or I don't really enjoy their company. I just hang out with them because those are the humans I have to hang out with. And the, we just undervalue or taking a vacation, huge for your mental health. But a lot of people are like, no, I have a lot of work to do. I can't. Or my boss, you know, always... Yeah frowns upon that. So I think it's really important sometimes, as you say, to make sure that people do know, yeah, there are tons of tools and what works for somebody else might not work for you. And you don't have to do the same things other people do. If you don't love the beach, don't go sit on the beach. Like that's fine. Or if you love to read books, that's great, but not everybody's going to do it. And, and, but we're kind of judgy too about people that, you know, reach for like, yeah, I use video games to unwind. And somebody's like, oh, video games are bad for your mental health. And things like social media too get demonized because people will be really quick to say, well, you shouldn't, you shouldn't spend any time on social media because it's bad for you. But there's so many coping skills out there and we shouldn't judge what other people find to be helpful to them because many things in moderation can be good for us. But it is about having yeah. a plan and being proactive. Too often we wait until we're in the depths of despair to then mm -hmm. say like, now I'm struggling, what do I do? And that's when we go and we get help. But there's so many things we can do on an everyday basis to say, you know, I'm really going to manage my mental health today. Here are three things I'm going to do. And to make sure that we have plenty of tools to reach for, because what works on Wednesday might not be the best tool for you on Saturday. And I think if yeah. anything good came out of COVID, it was that realization that we're all like a couple steps away from really struggling with our mental health. Take away our ability to go to the gym, to hang out with our friends, to to have the freedom to to go do things. And suddenly, so many people were struggling. People who said, you know, in the past, I judged people who were having a hard time, but here I am struggling as well. Totally. I totally resonate with that. I'm, I'm curious. So like where, 
if you're working with someone one-to-one uh, or on a team or, or in any facet, really, like where do you, where do you typically start with people? So we, yeah, we say when we talk about mental strength, we'll talk about the way you think, the way you feel and the way you behave. Okay. And so for some people, it's more of an internal job. People who say, you know, I, I sit and I worry incessantly, then we'll say, all right, great, let's work on that. And again, I talk about what not to do because I want to help people figure out like, what's the most counterproductive bad habit you have? And let's get rid of that. And then when yeah. we tackle that, then like all of your good habits are much more effective. So somebody who says, I worry constantly, even if I tell them to go on a 20 minute walk around the block, well, guess what? They're going to worry the whole time they're walking around the blocks. But if we can figure out how do you not worry 24 seven, that walk around the block becomes so much more effective. So we'll often start by saying, what's your absolute worst habit when it comes to the way you think, the way you feel or the way you behave? And let's tackle that first. I like that. I'm just writing that down. That's a great, great question. What's, I mean, Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna back up because uh, this this question slipped my mind, and I'd love to know, and I'm sure people are wondering as well. Why the boat? What brought you to the boat? So it was my husband's dream since he was four to live on a sailboat. His bedroom was decorated in a sailboat theme when he was a little kid, and he had grown up uh, in Minnesota, but he sailed on the Great Lakes, so he'd grew up around sailboats, and so. He always wanted to live on one. I had no real desire to live on one, but I agreed to give it a shot. So we decided that we'd come live on a boat for six months. But that's been it's been seven years now, and I'm still here. It's way better than I even imagined, and it's it's a lot of fun. And I don't know how long we'll live on a boat, but no plans of stopping for now. That's incredible. What what's what's a day on the boat look like for you? Um. So. A lot of times we're at a dock because I need high-speed internet and to be able to uh, to access all the uh, resources of everything it takes to run a business. But yeah. uh, we have plenty of opportunities to, to get out on the water. Out in the ocean, we're in a canal most of the time, but you can score around the corner to get out in the ocean and there's dolphins and manatees and you can snorkel and swim. And I'm in the Florida Keys where it's hot year-round. I'm from okay. Maine, so I'm used to cold temperatures so yeah to me it's hot year round from toronto canada so i get it (laughs) right and the the, like the ocean temperature here is like 85 degrees like a pool in maine doesn't hit that in august so uh so a lot of my time is spent outdoors uh and in the water and just checking out kind of a completely different lifestyle than i than i grew up knowing yeah have you ever sailed to a gig have i ever what have you ever sailed to a gig i haven't um (gasps) (laughs) right (laughs) that would be awesome i know i've had people ask that question before like how'd you get here i'm like no i flew but (laughs) yeah boats back there (laughs) right right (laughs) that's awesome hello friends given you're here i'm making the assumption that you're motivated to be mentally fit so with that in mind i want to let you know about the better questions newsletter which publishes once or twice a month providing all of us the opportunity to slow down think and ask better questions As you know, quality questions are my thing, and this is an opportunity to share the prompts I've studied and curated to help our minds be healthier, clearer, more intentional, and expand our mental capacity. You can sign up over at BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter, which will also give you a preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. That's BehindTheHuman.com slash newsletter. Now back to the show. Yeah, so what, I mean, just along... Along the lines of that question, though, for for you, like what 
What's your main focus right now in terms of your work and whatnot? I know you've gone through some different changes with, uh, with your career and partnerships and things like that. Like where, what are you doing now? Like what's the main, what's the main objective? So I've just been looking for different ways to, to get my message out there. Like Sure. Book, book number six is coming out later this year, which is amazing. But yeah. not everybody reads books. We know the average person reads two books a year. And so then I thought, how else do I get the message out there? So I have a podcast called Mentally Stronger with therapist yeah. Amy Morin. So we use the podcast to, to get that out there. And then speaking engagements. So I get to t- talk to companies. I get to talk to lots of really cool people around the planet about mental strength. So it's really just about finding more ways to get the message out there so it reaches more people all across the globe. My books are in 40-something languages, which awesome. is not something I would have ever imagined, but I get emails from people you know, across the, across the globe who really don't have any access to mental health information at all. Yeah. So sometimes my book was the first introduction they had to basic information. And so I guess my my main objective now is to figure out how do I keep spreading that message? Okay. What are you hearing right now from, you know, speaking engagements and, and just interacting with people out there that are consuming your, your message and your content? Like, what are the big, what are the key topics of where, where people are mentally struggling at this point? So I'm hearing people say things like, we made a lot of assumptions about mental health that weren't true. And if okay. you take... Uh, take the workforce, for example. A lot of people thought, yeah, working from home is really good for your mental health because you have some flexibility and you have some freedom. And now they're surprised to see that it's also leading to burnout and it's causing yeah. uh, a lot more problems of isolation and loneliness. And people are struggling uh, with depression because they're home a lot or they're struggling with anxiety because they're not used to going out as much. Uh, and alcohol like is through the roof mm. right now. And I'm hearing so many companies say like, that's too bad that they're struggling like over there. I'm like, no, even no. your mental health agency, like it's one in five people right now are struggling with alcohol. So if we're sitting in a room with 20 people, like I guarantee several people in this room are. And if they're not personally struggling, I bet they have a partner or a child or somebody in their family who is. Yeah. So what do you think's um, behind that? Is, <sighs> is that pandemic related? And just because I... I like, I feel, I don't know if you, you share the same sentiment, but I feel like everyone was thrown into a collective, like forced reflective period. And to your point, like a lot of people hadn't just taken time to think like that, right? And, and pause and still the mind and, and this was forced. But then it's like everyone was just thrown back in. Yeah. Go, you know, with no tools again. And just like, go. Like, it, it, you know, this office is fully back. This office is kind of... Some people want to be here. Some people don't. Like, it's a disaster. But I feel like not. there's not that many people talking about this. I agree. And I think that, like, for the first couple of weeks of the pandemic, it felt like, okay, we're going to go back to normal soon. And then it lingered <laughs> so long. And then there wasn't, yeah. like, a moment where it ended. It was kind of like people trickled back here or yeah. this office said, yes, we're open for business. And there, like, wasn't that relief. And some people were still didn't want to leave the house. They weren't comfortable doing it. Other people never stopped leaving the house. And then everybody joined forces and we have this really weird mixture. And so I think existing problems got amplified. So for people Mm. who maybe just drank occasionally when they worked from home, they were like, why not start drinking at noon today? 
people that struggled with a little bit of anxiety found some solace in not leaving the house as much. Sometimes, sometimes people worried more because they were worried about getting sick, but all of that got amplified or somebody struggling with depression uh, made it worse. And so many issues and undealt with issues from, from our past tended to come up and relationships were severed and people are grieving. And as you say, nobody gave us the tools to then say, okay, now go back out into the world and deal with this trauma that so many people have just been through. What are, I mean, there's so many topics, obviously, given, you know, our shared interest on this, on this, this topic in general that I can go down, but there's a few that I'd love to uh, chat with you about and feel free to, to include anything else, but just first one being mental clutter, because I think it's really hard to stick with a plan and like adjust your habits and all of that. If your mind is just full, like jam floor to ceiling with stuff, let's just say, right? So what from from your work what's been helpful in starting to declutter the mind or or you know organize the mind in some capacity oh i agree with that so much that people you know are like i'm going to start going to the gym next week but like their minds racing and they they can't think straight and like it's just we're not even there yet so yeah. one of my favorite exercises sounds absolutely ridiculous but there's science behind it and i use it in my therapy office I use it in my own life too but it's called schedule time to worry And basically, you set aside 15 minutes a day to worry. So you say, I'm going to worry from 12 to 12.15 every day. And during that time, you just go worry your little heart out. You might write notes. You might just sit there, whatever you want to do. And then whenever you catch yourself worrying outside of that 15 minutes, you just say to your brain, it's not time to worry yet. And Mm. like for the first two weeks, it's kind of miserable because you will realize how much you worry. Your brain will be like, oh, what about that thing? Or what if it rains on Saturday? And you have to be like, it's not time to worry yet. And yeah. it's a kind of exhausting to do. But if you stick with it for two weeks, like there's brain imaging studies that shows it literally changes your brain. And it will teach you like, yes, I can still worry, but I don't have to worry 24-7. I can just worry for 15 minutes. And I'll have people that will come into my therapy office and you know, the first week they're like, Amy, this doesn't work. Second week, they'll be like, I just worry so much. This is never going to work. But by about the third week, sometimes they will look like the weight of the world has literally been taken off of their shoulders. And they'll be like, wow, like I can be present now because I'm not worrying about what's going to happen next. I can enjoy the moment or I'm not so worried about you know, how people are perceiving me, but I can actually be present in the conversation and listen to what people are saying. Yeah. And for some people, that's just like, just this big aha moment of like, oh, my brain doesn't have to be working like that all the time. So that's one thing that helps people that's declutter awesome. their brain. Another one is just well, writing things down. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I, what I really love about that is is the fact that you set it up around around the idea that like give yourself at least two weeks. Because right. I, like I even noticed this when I, when I hit my rock bottom moment, I was so self-aware from all the practices. I'm like, this is brutal. Like, am I, have I always been filled with this level of anxiety or then looping into depression? Or, or is this just because like now uh, there's a lot going on? It's probably a mix of, 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 of everything, but just that heightened sense of self-awareness. I always tell people like, just get ready for that because you're going to feel more Yes, and that's okay. Right. So like this, this is another thing too. It's like, holy shit. Like I worry a lot, you know, and, and once you can kind of just I guess, normalize that a little bit for, for you. And then I love just, I love this idea of just scheduled worry time. Cause I, I've heard of that for um, like consumption, you know, of yeah. content. It's like, 
uh, no, this is not the time I'm going to read this article or whatever. I've, I've scheduled this time so I can stay focused. This is a beautiful uh, little mental trick for worry. Thank you. You're welcome. It's really yeah. cool when people start doing it. And I think another one is to just write things down. Like there's so yeah. much swirling in our head. When you put something on paper, like you can just make more sense of it. And then you can go back to it. So we know a lot of people spend a lot of time just rehashing, ruminating, yeah. holding over the same thing over and over and over. But when you put it on a piece of paper, sometimes that allows you to say, all right, I'm worried about X, Y, and Z, or I'm thinking about what am I going to do about my job? Do I quit or do I stay? Here's the pros and cons of staying. Here's the pros and cons of leaving. And whenever you go back to rehashing that, be like, is there anything else I'm thinking of that isn't on the list already? If so, hmm. walk back over to your list and add it. If not, be like, okay, I already put that on the list. I don't need to keep thinking about it. Yeah. Sometimes that can help people clear out a lot of that mental clutter too. And how do you, is there, is there something you suggest? Like, cause now you're like, you're pulling it out of your head. So that's, that's one thing. And then you can see it. Um, but is there anything else that you, you help people with so that, you know, those themes don't just like kind of re-inject back into your mind? And I mean, I guess you, you start to see the patterns. That's, that's, first of all, you have to be clear in the first place and not, you know, get stuck with that, those loopy narratives. But yeah, let me know. Yeah, there's another exercise that is super fun and cool to do, which is, it's called the white bear exercise. So okay, we know that if somebody has a bad day at work and you come home from work at the end of the day and you're like, oh, don't think about that conversation you just had at lunch today that went bad. It's going to keep popping up into your head. And in fact, the more we tell ourselves, don't think about that thing, the more we think about it. Mm -hmm. So this exercise demonstrates that. But it basically works like this. When I'm working with an audience, I'll tell them, spend the next 30 seconds thinking about white bears. Could be polar bears, white bears, stuffed bears, whatever. Just white bears, white bears, white bears. We set the timer for 30 seconds. When the 30 seconds is over, and then I say, okay, now I'm going to give you 30 more seconds. Think about absolutely anything you want but don't think about white bears. And usually the <laughs> audience begins to laugh. And after that, 30 seconds is over. I'll give them one last exercise and I'll give them a, a strategy, something to do. So it might be go through the alphabet backwards in 30 seconds and we'll set the timer. So then at the end of all of those three things, I'll ask them, when I asked you to think about white bears, how many of you were able to? Every hand always goes up. Yes, I could picture a white bear. Yeah. And then I'll say, when I asked you to think about anything you wanted, but don't think about white bears, how many people had at least one white bear pop into their head? And inevitably, Everybody. almost every hand <laughs> yeah. will go up because people will say, you know, I started thinking about what I was going to eat for lunch and then a white bear popped into my head or <laughs> this little white bear came creeping across like the TV screen in my brain. And I was like, ah, and then I'll say, well, how about when you were working on the alphabet backwards? And there might be one or two people, but most people will say, oh, yeah, I forgot about the white bear then. And that's an example of changing the channel in our brain. So when you're upset about something that happened last week, or you're worried about something that could potentially happen next month, like thinking about it longer and harder doesn't necessarily do you any good. But telling yeah. yourself, well, just don't think about it doesn't work either, because it's going to pop up like that little white bear when you don't want it to. So the best strategy is to get yourself busy with something. And if you're at home, you're probably not going to go through the alphabet backwards. But you can say, you know, I'm going to go do this task, whether it's I'm going to yeah clean the kitchen, or I'm going to call a friend and talk about something completely different to get your mind off of it. Not that you're going to distract yourself forever, but just to maybe calm your emotions down, calm your body down for a yeah. little bit so that when you aren't so jacked up, then you won't keep rehashing it. And just giving yourself that break, that mental break for a little while can do wonders. And then when you feel a little calmer, then you might not be so upset. Or when you do go back to think about it again, 
you might be able to solve the problem from a different angle this time. I mean, what I love about all of this stuff is just like we, you know, they're just such accessible tools that we just don't have to sit in like the mental torture that we put ourselves through so often without even thinking most times. Right. And then to your point, like it just like cascades and stacks and then there's an explosion moment. Uh, It's an, it's it's inevitable, right? It's like, we're, it's like we're putting our minds through like a 12 to 14 hour hit workout every single day without any rest or recovery. Um, it's like something has to give at one point, right? Definitely. And we talk so much about like, you should meditate, but so many people are like, you know, I sit still for three minutes and all of a sudden, you know, I just keep thinking about all the awful things in the world and I can't meditate and then I feel worse. Yeah. No wonder you feel worse because, you know, (laughs) you got some work to do before something like mindfulness or meditation might work and it doesn't work for everybody and that's okay too. Yeah. So let's talk about and and I'll, there's a caveat to this question because um, I, I, I would say, well, I know you and I agree with this. Like there's no, I don't think there's any prescription to like, here's a mental fitness routine that will completely change your life. And you, you know, maybe there's some that will help, but to your point earlier, we're different people and there are a million different things we can do. It's about finding, you know, what works for you. But I do find it inspiring typically to ask others on the show, like, what's your flow? And, and specifically, you know, what are you doing now? And and like, kind of how, how's, how has that evolved over time? Yeah. So I guess for me, like now that I live on a sailboat, like life is pretty calm and cool and collected. So like, sure. To like, so, you know, sitting in like quiet is not something that I would do to, to manage my mental health at this point, but I have a jet ski and I love to go jet skiing and I go fast and it's kind of loud and like, that's when I feel alive is doing something that uh, keeps me on the edge of my seat, literally. So doing, I guess, making sure I build those things in. And you, as you know, too, like when you're an entrepreneur and you're building something, you could easily do it 24-7. So I have to make sure that I have those breaks built in. And I also love physical fitness. For me, uh, that just really helps me. So I lift weights and that helps keep the anxiety at bay. And I love to run. Um, I don't run far, but I like to run fast. So I try to time myself for a mile every day and see how fast I can do it. And if I was better than yesterday and no desire to... the theme here, jet skis, running fast, (laughs) your speed, you're an adrenaline junkie, aren't you? (laughs) (laughs) So for me, because I do live on a sailboat and it's a slower paced life, it's about finding fun things that make me feel alive sometimes. And I consider that self-care, that I don't have to sit in a hammock on the beach because that would not be all that relaxing to me, but I find yeah. it relaxing to go jet skiing and to go snorkeling and to go do really fun things that make me feel alive. What has been like the non-negotiable over the last, let's say 10 years or so for you when it comes to, you know, the thing that contributes the most to your mental strength? I would say probably my uh, social support and my friends. So even though I live on a sailboat, uh, it's become different in terms of visiting with friends because it used to be I could have lunch with them on a, yeah. on a Saturday, but I don't get to do that now because a lot of my friends live far away, but they get to fly in and stay with me for a week at a time. So it's this new kind of cool thing that yeah. we get to do. But, uh, and like I said, some of my friends have been with me since we were four. So they were there for me during the good times and the bad and just staying in touch with them and making sure that, that we do make time to, get together despite the fact that we all have busy lives and completely different things going on, but that we, that we come together and that we talk often enough that I still feel connected to them. Okay. 
What's um what's what's got you excited these days? Like what are you looking forward to in in this in this industry or this space that, you know, we find ourselves in trying to help other people with their with their mental strength? I would say right now it's the the freedom and the flexibility to do my own thing. Um, mm. As you know, I, I had partnered with a with another company a while back and lost some of that freedom and flexibility, and there was the security of knowing that I was with with another company and uh, and that they were in charge of some of the aspects of my business, but yeah. also took away a lot of the fun that comes with being out on my own. So to be back to being a completely independent entrepreneur is really really exciting to me. And that definitely. How did you make that decision, though? Like, because I, I I totally resonate with that. I've been yeah. there in different in different circumstances, and it's like you, because I think what a lot of people don't realize as entrepreneur, like there's a lot of uncertainty, right. <laughs> you know, and there's a lot of ups and downs. So when you have these 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 other opportunities where it's like, okay, there's a little bit more certainty and stability here, for example, at you know this expense or whatever it is, but to 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 strip that away. Um, can be scary, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I have always loved like having a side hustle or a business of some kind. So even when I was a therapist, I had like a a dropship business online, and I've always okay. had something kind of on the side, and just loved it. Like I t- the thought of making money in my sleep was just mind boggling to me because I was as a therapist, I had the billable hour, so I was really only ever to make as able to make as much money as I was physically in the office when yeah. people showed up. So it was just this super fun concept. And so then when I started writing books, I remember the moment too where I was going to keep my day job even though I had written a book. And it was my boss that was like, you know, you might not ever get to write another book, like just go. And I was like, yeah, but my publisher kind of wants me to still be doing like a day job as a therapist. And he's like, great, we'll make you per diem then. And you can just come in and like, and I'm like, really? Like, that's okay. He was like, yeah, just go, Amy, go. And so I remember the first time I ever quit a job in order to say, okay, like I don't have a paycheck coming in. <laughs> like, how's this going to work? And then figuring out, okay, well, now I have to come up with multiple income streams and how do I manage all this? But it was so exciting that for me, the excitement outweighed the uncertainty. Yeah. And then over the years, I'd certainly have had other opportunities to partner with people and work with them. And sometimes it had the potential to go really big and take a lot of the work off of my plate, but you don't know until you try. And if yeah. it doesn't work out, then it's like, okay, that really wasn't what I had envisioned or what I had thought or this other company didn't keep up their end of the bargain. So we'll just step back and I'll take it back on on, on myself. And that's where I am right now is like, okay, and now how do I figure out, um, you know, what, what roles do I still want to play? Do I want to outsource some stuff? And how do we manage all of that? But for the most part, I'd say the excitement outweighs the sure. uh, uncertainty. Yeah. Well, when faced with these kind of decisions where, and I love it that it's like, you, we have to try, right? At what point, like at what, like what kind of runway or what kind of questions are you thinking about to, to, to gauge? Like, I've tried long enough, or this is a sign, like, I'm out at this point, you know, and it doesn't have to just be like your current circumstance. I mean, this applies to so many different things, right? Yeah. So, and that's a good question. And I think sometimes it's about asking like, what am I afraid of? Like, and what am I feeling right now? Like, am I nervous about the change? Am I afraid I'll make things worse? Am I afraid that I'll try and it won't work out? And then that will be horrible, terrible, and awful. And then also what will I do if it doesn't work out? Well, luckily, yeah. I'm a therapist. You could get a job in about 30 seconds and a sure. million different places. So I think, all right, well, I always have that safety net. 
And so, and just knowing that, like, what's my safety net? I know some people are on, on the idea that you should burn the boats. You should never have a safety net. For me, that doesn't work. I need a safety net. When I have a safety yeah. net, then I'm like, now I can take a risk. And if it doesn't work out, I have plan B, which is, yeah, I'm a therapist. So, um, so for me, I guess it's those sorts of questions. Like, what's the worst case scenario? What would I do if the worst case scenario happened? And usually the worst case scenario isn't that bad anyway. And yeah. then just thinking like, if I'm in a situation and it's not going well, just asking like, well, what isn't going well? And do I need to change something about the situation or do I need to change the whole situation altogether? You know, how much energy do I want to put in? Oh, that's a good question. Fighting the system and saying, hey, this doesn't work. Do I advocate for myself or do I say, this is how this is how this company works. They're not going to change just because I tell them it's not working for me. So maybe it makes sense to bail. But also mm-hmm. then I guess the last question would be, do I need to change the situation or do I need to change how I feel about the situation? And there's little opportunities where I can make something uh, more bearable. So you do that sometimes. You work for a company who has terrible Zoom meetings all day long and it feels like a waste of time. Well, what do you do during those Zoom meetings? Maybe you doodle. Maybe you come up with a, a strategy to be doing some work in the background. Yeah. Or do you say to the boss, you know, gee, I don't need to go to four hours worth of Zoom meetings every day and try to problem solve it. So I think sometimes it's just about asking that question. Do I try to change the situation or do I try to change how I feel about the situation? Well, as someone who uh, actively collects questions, you are dropping some beautiful prompts here. So thank you, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I do want to ask you a little bit about just the passive income or those kind of projects because, uh, well, A, it's something that, that... that I've been exploring as well. Um, and I think a lot of people um, are interested in that topic. And not just from, I don't think just from the income standpoint, but coming back to what you're saying around just excitement, I think it gives it gives excitement, you know? Like, and, and there's so many different situations, of course, there could be someone that's an unhappy in a job or someone completely on their own. And it, it's it's almost like looking at a stock portfolio and you're like diversifying your your portfolio within your company in, in a way. Um, so I'm just curious when you when you started down that road, like kind of what was your strategy, or how did you think about setting up um, that kind of those kind of projects? Oh, good question. So I had when I started writing books, I had heard horror stories from people that say, you know, you'll you'll never get a royalty check. Authors don't really earn royalties, and you'll probably for listeners who don't know, usually you get an advance, and if you hit your advance, you can then earn royalty checks. And so I had heard from other authors like, well, you just wrote the book so that you can give speeches. And that's where the money comes in is from speeches. But the only way to get a speech is to write a book. And I was like, okay, so that's my my real goal is to get speeches. Great. And um, and then other people would say, no, you're, you wrote the book, but the book sells for 20 bucks and you only make a dollar. So what you want to do is you want to make a course, sell the course for $1,000. So I'm like, oh, I should be making courses. And other people are like, no, you sponsor your newsletter. <laughs> and I just remember thinking like, all right, what, what am I, what's my path going to be? And uh, for me, I found that, yes, diversifying is super important. So knowing that I can have books and I do make royalties and also my books are in other languages so I can get royalty checks from foreign countries, which is amazing. And they roll in at random times. I don't even know when they're going to come in. So that's pretty cool. But also I still write articles that I get paid for, which is super fun. And from the articles, I can promote the books. And a lot of my speaking engagements come from people who read my articles. And okay, and so they all kind of blend together in the end. But I always try to make sure I have about seven different uh, sources of revenue 
and then figure out how do I combine them in ways. So if I'm going to have a podcast where I can talk about my books, great. And in my book, I'll mention my podcast and then they work together in tandem. And I don't have to always have like a a super clear funnel of exactly what's going to sell what, but people know, hey, Amy talks about mental strength and she offers these different ways of learning about it, what works best for me. So how do you identify those 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 channels, those seven different, like for you specifically? Because there's, the thing that I often struggle with is looking at, like there there are a lot of recipes out there for all of this stuff. And like you said, I've, I've heard a lot of the similar things too. Like you need to do the course and do this and do that. And, and but there's, there's a part of me, like some of those things, I'm like, I don't want to do that. You know, it right. just like doesn't energize me. And, and to do it well takes energy and like time and commitment and whatnot. So I'm, I'm curious for you, like, how do you, how do you gauge like, I'm going to explore this track? You know, like, what are those questions that you're, you're, you're reflecting on to, to get to that point where you have this like beautifully, seems like really well integrated business, really? I guess I ask myself like, uh, yeah, where do I want to be spending my time? Like I can do coaching one-on-one. I could do group coaching. There's a lot of different ways I could do it, but how do I want to spend, or I could write a book? Like, you know, what do I enjoy doing? Because if you enjoy it, it doesn't feel like it's work versus the things that you hate to do an hour of it seems like 12 hours. So (laughs) what is it that, that I love to do? And then how do these things fit together in a way that they support my main goal? So if my main goal is to get the message out into the world about mental strength, I always want to make sure everything I'm doing somehow supports that and builds on that and adds a new value that my books don't just rehash my podcast or that my online course isn't a yeah. electronic version of it, but how am I still adding value? And I actually get a lot of the information uh, from my readers' questions. Like my readers let me know what they want next. When they asked about parenting, I'm like, I'll give you a parenting book. So I think it's this yeah. thing, you know, like what is it that my readers still want to know and they don't yet have enough of and how can I fulfill those needs? Oh, love it. So many good questions. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you'd love to talk about? Um, gosh, we've covered so much. I would just say to everybody, like, you're stronger than you think and get out there and try new things. Like, again, I didn't imagine in a million years I could do these things, let alone love it. But and to know that no matter how bad life is, sometimes you just don't know what's around the next corner. And although I had mm. a lot of shoes that dropped that weren't good around the next corner. Eventually I had one that was like amazing. And now I get to do these really cool things. So hang in there when you're going through a rough spot because something amazing might be just around the corner too. Well said. Well, Amy, thank you for for making the time to come on the show. And of course, a higher thank you for, you know, trusting in yourself and putting in the work in, in, those really challenging times in your 20s because the ripple effect of that is that you're you're helping so many others uh, on that journey, on that ride with their, with their own minds. And that is just, it's hard to put uh, a price tag on something like that. It's just so valuable. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much for all of your kind words. And thanks for having me, Mark. 